Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We'll continue our series in the Sermon on the Mount. Again, as I mentioned last week, we're on the on the downward uh, slope here. And so we've got just really, I think, three or four weeks uh, left working our way through the sermon found in Matthew uh, 5, 6, and, and 7. We've already covered chapters 5 and 6. We're on chapter 7. And as we look at it today, we're not only going to look at it in a, in a general sense, but also as we customarily do each, each year uh, preparing for this uh, time next week that we've mentioned our, our stewardship uh, season here, looking forward into 2015 and, and prayerfully each of the families in our church and households cons- considering what uh, God would call us to uh, to plan to give to the ministries of the church. Uh, we, we're going to look at these particular verses in a focused way on, on that topic today, so understand that that's our, our approach to it. And, uh, and, and as we do, we're, we're just reminding ourselves of really some of those general things about stewardship that we know that we're called to live as, as faithful stewards of all God has uh, provided, that we're to really, in, in doing that, exemplify who God is and his gift to, to us. We sung some songs today, uh, Amazing Love, how, how Can It Be? God's done this incredible thing. So uh, we, can, we, we can live that out through our lives of generosity. Uh, the Lord is also blessing us in the sense through asking us to give and that we, we have an opportunity to put to death some of that uh, self-sufficiency, some of that greed that, that wells up so quickly. I know in my heart when, when God invites us to give that tithe and, and, and that sort of starting place of giving of 10% of what he's provided, he's saying, boy, this is an opportunity to start to, uh, to have a heart uh, change on some of those self-sufficiency and greed things we struggle with. It's an opportunity, as we saw earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, to, to actually lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven. So that, that's a huge blessing to us. And in all of this, uh, what a what a privilege, really. You know, it, it's not, in a sense, it's not an easy thing each year to you know have this time of of encouraging us, reminding us all to be giving. You know, it's not a, an easy thing to talk about sometimes. Uh, people's uh, money and wallets and pocketbooks and investments, but but what a privilege that we have to participate with God in the things of His kingdom. Well, what a blessing that we have in that. And so today we're going to look at these verses, and as I, as I already mentioned, uh, these verses refer to our prayer life, to our seeking out God and His blessing to us in all sorts of ways beyond just the material, but certainly they refer too to His material provision for us. And, and what we're going to see as we look at these verses, I hope, is, is number one, where our blessings uh, come from, what's the source of them, we'll be reminded of that. Uh, how it is that we really seek out those things from God, that we're invited to do that. And then ultimately, uh, if we're receiving those things from God, what are the implications for how we uh, use them in a way that glorifies Him? So stand with me as we uh, read together, and and we just stand in honor of God's Word, His truth, His power. Uh, And I'll read along, you read along silently as I read aloud Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asked him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, 
How much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? You may be seated, and as you do, let me pray again for our time, specifically in the Scriptures. Father, we, uh, we know that uh, all of us are like grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but not your word. It stands forever, and so we ask today that you would uh, teach us through it, uh, minister to us, and even challenge us in, in some ways, and encourage us where you desire. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the picture here isn't uh, too terribly complicated, is it? Uh, whether you uh, remember those days of having littler ones in your home and they've grown now, or maybe you have uh, friends or family, maybe have a niece or a, a nephew, have seen other little ones, or, or for a number of us have those little ones right now in our, in our homes. The, the scenario is not hard to picture here laid out in these verses, the analogy, right? A, a little child is seeking something from their parent and they begin to ask if they're like my kids, they're sort of oblivious maybe to the fact that uh, mom or dad, dad in this case is the analogy, is, is on the other side of the house. All right? So the child begins to ask and then at some point realizes, okay, I'm not in proximity to the person I'm wanting to get this from. So I need to go from asking to seeking. Child moves and tries to locate the, the uh, location of the, the father in the, in the household and, and then comes and maybe as they're locating where the father is, then encounters a barrier, something in the way. Maybe there's a door to the, to the man cave that's been, been shut and, and dad's inside there. Maybe uh, the shower or even the bathroom. And, uh, and, and then the child takes the next step and knocks. And, and if things are in your house the way they are in mine, Barges on in, regardless of what might be going on behind that door, right? The picture is of pursuing, of going after one from whom we can get blessing, get the things that we need. And that's what the scriptures are talking about here. And uh, we, we rightly probably recognize, kind of need to qualify these things off the bat, that, um, you know, in our in our thought thoughts and so forth. God is actually right near to us. So the analogy breaks down at, at that on that part of things. We know that God doesn't have to be uh, located out somewhere. We, we know that he's right there. He's near. He's omnipresent to us. So we should probably recognize that right off the bat. Uh, we also saw earlier in Matthew in chapter six that Jesus says, well, you know, uh, there's all different pitfalls we fall into with prayer, but particularly uh, the, the pagans, as he calls them, those who maybe have a, a sort of a manifold, a polytheistic a worldview where there's a manifold gods and spiritual beings. Uh, th- there can be that mindset that somehow we have to sort of badger God. We've got to twist his arm. We've got to get him to do what we want to by saying certain special words or repeating certain incantations over again. Uh, of course, this scripture is not teaching that, that somehow we've got to corral God to get him to do what we want to, or somehow he's off in the distance and we can't find him. The, the main point that Jesus is trying to uh, remind us of is that we are God's children. And as God's children, we rightly seek out the things that we need from him. And, and we 
know cognitively that God is sovereign, so he's giving us what's good for us based on his will. And yet he's done this thing, which is it's not easy for us to put together his sovereign purpose, that he knows what he's doing and he's going to do it together with the fact that we ask him for certain things. And at least as we experience his blessings, as we experience receiving them, he hears and he grants what we ask for. That's the picture here of seeking what we need from our heavenly father. So if you're a main idea person, like to have some, you know, nugget, nook and cranny, you can grab hold of and say this is the key thing. You can look in the back of your worship guide to the sermon notes section. The, the main idea is just this. It's, it's pretty straightforward that we should ask so that all that God has for us will be given. And as a Important way I, I worded that. We're going to talk about what it means to ask and so forth. But uh, so that all that God has for us would be given, R- you know, right off the bat, when when you read a verse like this and and, and I'll, I'll confess, I'm going to we're going to be challenging all of us on some things, but I'll confess right off the bat. Us us preachers are sometimes a little cautious in our day and age with the, the prosperity gospel and the health and wealth message around every you know corner and behind every door. To preach passages like this uh, in their full power because we're, we're hesitant. We say, well, we need to qualify this. And, and, and no, you know, it's not an automatic guarantee because you're a believer that everything's going to be great. and Your health is going to be wonderful. And, and, of course, we point out somebody like the Apostle Paul, you know, wrote a number of the books of the Bible, inspired by God, pretty close to the Lord in that sense. And yet he asked God, hey, would you remove this thorn? And he asked not just one time, but multiple times. And, and God said, no, I'm, I'm not going to take that away for you. And in, in my plan for you, Paul, uh, I want you to see my strength and your weakness. And so I'm actually going to leave that thing in place. So, so, so we know, again, on the one hand, that, that, that we, we need to clearly understand these verses and believe these verses that we can ask and we can find. And at the same time, we've got to hold that together with recognizing God's good plan might be a little different. For us than we would think. And all of these things relate pretty directly, uh, I think, to to our thinking about material and financial and stewardship matters, don't they? I mean, questions come to the mind right off the bat. So so what about if I ask God to win the lottery? Right. What what about that? Or, or, or maybe you say, OK, that's kind of goofy. But what about asking him for a promotion at work? Or a pay raise or for that deal to go through or that uh, home business that you're trying to get started to prosper. What, what about those kind of things? How does that fit in? Uh, what about the fact that God gives a lot of good stuff, it seems, to folks that aren't even asking or even aware that he exists? What about the fact, as we just mentioned a minute ago, that we sometimes ask God for things and we are seeking them from him, but he chooses not to give them. What's this say about God? What does it say about us? And then uh, ultimately, if God is uh, true and faithful, as these verses say, to give us what we what we really need and to hear when we ask and seek that we'll find and he'll be a good father. What's that mean for how we use the provision that he gives for us? And the way we're going to walk down through this is by looking at at least three objections or questions uh, related to some of those things I just mentioned a minute ago. 
Uh, is it kind of unbecoming for God to to act in this way? Is it really necessary that we pray when it doesn't seem like it, it, it matters in terms of how God provides for people? Is, is it isn't it unproductive? Maybe it's not even a worthwhile exercise. So we're going to take a look at that. And, and as we do, I want to say again that we know our spiritual lives involve so much more than just the material provision that we're talking about today. Uh, there, there's a growth in, in trust, and we want to seek a growth in trust. There's a, a growth in our, our understanding of the Lord's ways and his purposes that we can seek from him. But, uh, you know, let's be honest, uh, too. When we're honest with one another, and, and occasionally when you all are, you know, choosing to be honest with me, maybe talking about these uh, stewardship and giving matters, uh, we wrestle, really, with believing that uh, God is the one that provides what we have, and that we can ask him and, and, and have him provide it, and then that we ought to use it in a certain way. Our, our, our giving kind of feels like something that's optional for us in our spiritual life. If we, if we can do it, then, then that'd be great. But, but it's not necessarily something we have to do. Uh, it's a charitable thing that we might do if we want to. And I think these verses really challenge us in that God's ways are the ways of providing all that we need. And so it's not outrageous for him to ask for us to respond and live lives of stewarding the things that he's given to us. Let me put it this way. Uh, A lot of things are probably driving some of our objections to uh, to uh, maybe giving, maybe being as generous as we feel God might want us to be. Uh, What Jesus identifies here is that uh, we aren't always so sure that God is really tracking with what we perceive as our needs. Not really sure that he's that loving father that's not going to sneak and, and give us a stone instead of some bread or give us a serpent instead of some fish. We're not sure we really believe that, that he really hears when we ask that he'll truly provide as a loving father. And then that's where we get, you know, the, the Old Testament people, they're, they're not that different from you and me. When they were wandering in the desert, you remember, and this amazing thing was happening. They're like, God, we're hungry. They're asking, they're seeking, they're knocking. And and he starts sending this bread down from the sky, literally raining food. And do you remember what they decided to do? I mean, they got logical about it, right? And and we know there's passages in Scripture and Proverbs that tell us to make good provision for the future. So we're not ruling that out. But but what did they do? They said, well, let's keep this stuff for two days. Let's stockpile it a little bit. Right. And you remember the manna went bad. It didn't last for more than one day. Why? God was wanting at that season, that particular time. You know, he didn't provide that for them for all of their existence as a people. But during that time, he was wanting to teach them a simple idea. You can trust me. You can ask me. You can seek and you'll find. I'll provide what you need each and every day. Do we believe that for ourselves? And before we jump into these three sort of objections we'll talk through, just just ask ourselves, um, is is it our habit, is it our practice to ask, to seek, and to knock before the Lord for our material provision? Because I, I don't think it is for me a lot of times. You know, it might be our practice to work real hard uh, or to think or plan real hard about our financial matters uh, or to just kind of assume, OK, I've got a good job. So that's going to come in and it's all sort of set. And, and it's hard then to zoom back out and say, wow, where does this come from? It comes from the Lord 
And I ought to take time to pause and seek it from him. Well, the first uh, objection that, that folks might raise, and I take some of these again from a real helpful commentary by John Stott on this Sermon on the Mount that I've been using. The, the first objection that people might, might have is that this is kind of unbecoming of the Lord of the universe. Okay? It sounds like a nice picture in our minds because we're kind of used to thinking of God as a father and meeting the needs of his children. But to most people throughout the world today and definitely the people in the world during Jesus's day, um, you know, this idea that God would almost be at our beck and call, that he would uh, immediately jump to our needs. It kind of makes God sound a little bit lower than 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 he really is. And so people had trouble swallowing that concept. And and for us, it's just it's just helpful to realize that, you know, this doesn't bring God down in any way. It actually elevates him. Think about it. How how can God meet our needs unless he knows them? He's got to be knowledgeable about everything in our lives. What a privilege to know that God knows our needs. He's got power. You can't meet somebody's need. Benefit them or bless them. Think about the needs. Those of us that have little ones in home, you know, their needs can only be met by us because we have some power to do that. So it indicates something about us as parents. We have power. There's knowledge, power. And then, of course, the most important thing it reveals about God is is love. He loves us enough. He cares us enough about us enough to meet our needs. So that's the picture in this passage. And, of course, I think you can follow the analogy pretty, pretty quickly here in the last part of the the verses, it's just contrasting us to God. It's not a very it's not a very flattering contrast. Right. It says because you, even though you're evil. All right. He's just saying that we're we're sinful people. We're fallen, even though we evil parents can figure out the idea that we ought to provide for our kids and almost kind of naturally do that. How much more then is God going to do that? That's the, the picture here. Now, now, I know in saying that there's probably some of us. That grew up and, and our experience with uh, with dad is not a good thing. You know, you say dad and it's it's not a happy word for you. And you maybe even have trouble kind of grappling with uh, this idea in the scriptures of who you, who God is as father. Because that wasn't the, that's not a good picture in your mind. Jesus is assuming here a, a, a general positive picture of who a father should be. So that's that's the analogy he wants us to get here. He's saying in general, a father, even though, you know, we're sinful even a father that doesn't even know the Lord in any way is generally going to try to meet the needs of his child. And that's the picture for us to encourage us. And so, again, it's a, it's a real challenge to me to, to make me think, wow, do, am I meditating on how great this fatherly love is and really asking God to be the one that provides for me? Or am I just trusting somehow that it's, it's going to happen by my own power or by my own strength, as we saw in the Deuteronomy verse that we did for our call to confession. So it seems a little unbecoming uh, for God, maybe, to, to, you know, just meet our needs in this, in this way. It also is a little bit unbecoming to us, if we're honest, uh, and we're thinking from our sort of prideful, self-sufficient standpoint, it seems unbecoming for us, too. Are we really going to sit and be in a dependent posture before this spiritual being that's supposed to be out there? You know, isn't it about doesn't everything in our culture say it's about uh, me and my ability to plan and do my job and make good provision and make wise decisions in that? 
It's interesting to uh, look at what happens to us when we start to view the material things of the world from that prideful and self-sufficient perspective. I don't know how many of y'all have seen the, the Lord of the Rings uh, series of movies. Probably uh, most here have, have watched some of those or read, read the books, perhaps even. I, I, I can't remember whether this is in the books, but I know it's in the uh, movies in the third movie of the Lord of the Rings. So it's the Return of the King. I think that one was. It begins with this scene. Do you remember of uh, of uh, Smeagol? And it's uh, early earlier on in his life, and he's still in the Shire. You remember Smeagol was originally a hobbit. He's the one who becomes Gollum. And Smeagol was originally a hobbit, and they show him in that nice little peaceful place, that that Shire area. And the hobbits, of course, are the hero, ultimately the heroes of the story. So you're kind of like, oh, okay, here's one of these hobbits. But then he goes fishing with his buddy. And as they're fishing, they find what? Lying on the bottom of the lake, the ring. It's found there. And Smeagol immediately becomes so infatuated with it, his precious, that he even kills his own good friend in order to get the ring. And then the picture, and it's, it's a bleak picture in those movies. It's kind of one of those parts if you've got little kids and you're letting them watch the movie, you sort of hit the fast forward because it's so bleak you don't know that you want them to see that scary part. But Smeagol starts to turn into somebody different. He starts to become Gollum. Really, he's uh, he's both Gollum and Smeagol at all times. He speaks in the plural about him, himself. He calls himself we. He's a confused individual. And, and, and I wrote down the, the lines that it says in the background as it pictures Gollum now down in this pit, down in this cave, all by himself, uh, constantly focusing on this ring. He says, my precious, they cursed us and we wept and we wept. Then we forgot the taste of bread, the beauty of the trees, the peacefulness of the wind. We even forgot our own name. That's the picture of what starts to happen to us. So it's not unbecoming for us as people to to recognize that, that God is the one that truly brings all the blessings into our lives. That actually changes us and invigorates us and helps us come alive spiritually. It's the opposite perspective that turns us. Now, we don't physically morph into to Gollum, and we might not say the things that he did or act the way he did, but those things start to work in our hearts, don't they? If we're consumed with the material things of this world as something that we somehow have provided for ourselves. So number one, uh, there's some part of this that seems unbecoming, but in fact is not. Not unbecoming for God to be this kind of God, not unbecoming, unbecoming for us to be dependent upon him. The second thing we, uh, we might think if we look at these verses we said earlier, it seems unnecessary. How many of us look around and, and see people that uh, seem to be doing really well and, and maybe even doing a lot better than us in the material regards? Or, or maybe it's not materially their health is good. Or their family situation with their children seems better. Or they just seem to be more positive type of person. Or they're not struggling with depression the way we are. Or this particular chronic illness that we have. They, they seem to be doing all of that. And yet no reference at all to God in their life. There's plenty of folks both personally and sort of publicly in our society that we could look to that way. 
it's interesting uh, then to see that really these verses are situated in the context of the whole kingdom of God. This is the Sermon on the Mount that we're preaching. So Jesus is talking about uh, talking to us and urging us to seek and find not just in some you know, generic sense, but as part of being people who are in the kingdom of God. Uh, I thought about this even with um, Spurgeon's take on the prayer of Jabez. I don't know how many of you all were. Uh, some of you guys are too young to have been around in the prayer of Jabez time back in what was that? The late 80s, early 90s. That was a big thing. And, and in some ways, it was a really good thing. Got folks praying and asking God to to bless and, and seek to use that blessing for his glory. It's this prayer from First Chronicles. If you've never read it before, it's just it's really short. First uh, verse 10 of chapter four. Jabez called upon the God of Israel, saying, oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border and that your hand might be with me. That you would keep me from harm so that it might not bring me pain. And the Lord granted what he asked. Okay. Again, real easy for us to probably twist that one up in our mind and and turn it into sort of a health and wealth things. Things have always got to go good for me in my spiritual life because I know or in my life because I know the Lord. I like what Spurgeon does uh, with this. And I think it's in your worship guide. He says uh, he says this. He takes the words and kind of. Adjust them a little bit so that we can see their deeper meaning for us. He says, my God, bless me indeed. Give me a healthy soul. Heal me of my spiritual diseases. Come and purge out the leprosy of all that's in my heart by nature. Make me healthy in the heavenly sense. Bless my bodily health to me that I may use it rightly. Spending the strength I have in your service and in your glory. Otherwise... Though blessed with health, I may not be blessed indeed. John Stott uh, says this about our need to seek these things from God and the part that this has in the kingdom of God in our lives. He says daily forgiveness, deliverance of evil, peace, the increase of faith, hope and love. In fact, the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit for these gifts, we must certainly pray. Okay, so there's certainly folks out there that are seem to be benefiting in some way without reference to God, without seeking God. And and these guys are reminding us that there's certain things that can only come through prayer. The, the, The deeper and deepest blessings in our life can only come through seeking them from God. So that's one answer to how necessary it is to be seeking God and seeking his hand in our lives. The third thing is that it just sometimes seems... Uh, unproductive to us. Uh, Psalm 73 is a great place to turn and and see how the psalmist wrestled with this and probably get some comfort from it and also be challenged. If you have a Bible handy, I'd invite you to turn over to that passage as we kind of come to the end of our time in the scriptures this morning. I think this is a good place for us to to start to land things. Psalm 73. And it's kind of interesting. It's almost uh, off-putting a little bit that this is even in the the scriptures because it's so honest about how we really feel. The psalmist expresses what we often feel with those around us. Uh, Start in verse 1. We won't read the whole thing. I'll jump a little bit here and there. It says this in Psalm 73, verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Okay, so the psalmist is starting there. This is what I know. This is what I believe. I've camped out on this. I've based my life on this. But he's struggling. Listen. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. 
My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. So you got the picture. We won't read all of it. He sees other people doing pretty well. They don't seem to be concerned at all for uh, asking, seeking, knocking to the Lord. And yet they're being blessed. Jump on down to verse 13. Here's what he begins to think next. All in vain, I've kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. Why am I trying to do the good stuff that I'm supposed to do? Live my life for the Lord? Give to kingdom causes? Even be sacrificial in my giving for that? That doesn't seem to be getting me anywhere. He says, for all day long, I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. And then he finally starts to come to his senses in verse 15. He says, if I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. So he's saying he's kind of this was a whole thought thing that he was going through. And then at some point he pulled up and said, "Okay, I'm going to stop saying these things. I'm not going to say this out loud. Verse 16. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God and then I discerned their end. And he walks through the, the picture of what those who are not seeking God are going to face. Those who don't know Christ and haven't surrendered to him are going to face. And how does he get that picture? By looking at God. He goes to the sanctuary, he gathers in worship. He goes someplace where he can encounter God. And then look uh, on down with me at verse uh, 20, 23. He's seen God and he gets the picture of what's going to happen to those who don't seek him. He says, nevertheless, I am continually with you and you hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will receive me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Sounds like. Somebody that's probably like us trying to figure out how do I really relate to God in prayer this way? How do I relate to the blessings I see others receiving around me and still recognize that I ought to, see, ought to rightly seek God's blessing for me and trust his plan for me? Uh, surely God is my strength and my portion, he says. Let me just conclude with, uh, with this, with one more verse. And it was the verse that uh, Dak shared with us earlier for our assurance of pardon. Uh, you know, a, a fitting one just to remind us of our salvation. But also the Apostle Paul is using that passage from 2 Corinthians uh, verse 8 and 9 where he talks about Jesus and just what Jesus does and how all of this relates back to the sacrificial work of Christ. That, that, that Jesus, though he was rich... Right. In the spiritual sense, in every sense you could imagine, had everything being one among the triune God and yet chose and was designated to come down and become poor. In the sense that he took on human form and even that human form was a, you know, a poor person. And that through that poverty, then. And ultimately through emptying of himself for us, then he allows us who are poor literally in the spiritual sense and in other ways to become rich, to have all that we need, spiritually speaking, from him. I think it's a great place for us to conclude with that verse and, and meditate on it as we as we go uh, forth from this place and think about a few things, a few pointed questions. Uh, what, what would it look like asking, seeking, knocking? What would it look like for us to ask 
God to just give us the heart to give. We saw earlier in the Sermon on the Mount that we can be given a lot of stuff and we can be real quickly tempted to pat ourselves on the back or to want others to see us. And Jesus says, no, don't don't go for those things. Go for the higher reward. So so we ought to ask for the heart to give and give for the right reason. Uh, Some of us, maybe we need to ask for the discipline to to get out of debt. I just say that because you all who are talking to me as we're meeting over lunches and counseling with one another have shared with me, hey, we're struggling. We, we've made some, some bad decisions, and we, we want to be in a better place just for our own family sanity, but we also want to be a part of the things of the kingdom, and, and we're struggling. So maybe ask for the discipline to get out of debt. Ask, uh, maybe ask for, for more income. But not just to, you know, get the new car, get the new house, but to be greater participant in, in what God's doing in this work in the world. Now, what would it look like to ask maybe even for fortitude to talk to your spouse, maybe even talk to your kids about these matters that are hard to talk about? If maybe you've been going down a path as a family and trying to correct that direction, it's it's a tough thing to talk about. What would it look like if we ask for such deeper intimacy, identity in Christ, we didn't even feel like we had to chase after these material things to have our identity. What would it look like to have and ask for such a security and comfort in the knowledge of our Heavenly Father's care for us? We wouldn't feel like we've got to get security from from, uh, protecting and guarding those things that God's given us in His blessed provision for us. There's probably a lot of ways... We can apply these verses. What a blessing that God sent Jesus, the one who was rich, to become poor so that we who are poor in him might become rich. Let's pray together. Father, we are um, greatly challenged by uh, these verses. We're challenged with... uh, uh, some of the enigmas we don't always get about your sovereignty and, and Lord, our role in things. We, we don't always get that picture, even how it works for us to pray for things and you to give them to us when we know you are uh, sovereignly in your providence, planning all things out uh, ahead. And yet we know that's true. And we know that you invite us to relate to you as our Heavenly Father. And we pray that uh, particularly in this area of material provision that you would help us to uh, just for our own sanity for our own uh, stress and comfort and peace that we'd be able to trust more deeply in you as our provider father we pray that through that we would really be moved to be more generous uh, even than than so many already are in this congregation to the things of your kingdom i praise you for the the uh, generous hearts that you have given uh, Uh, Many here in our church family towards our regular church ministries, towards missions, even earlier this year towards our uh, capital campaign and on an ongoing basis for all of those things. Uh, Father, we we thank you for that, those ways you've already worked in our hearts. And we pray that you would increase your working for our good and for your glory. In Jesus name. Amen.